Welcome to Talking Tuesdays. I am your host, Fancy Quan, and today we are going to talk all about the struggles of a startup. And we'll start off with kind of the basics and what you expect, and then I'll try to dive into more of the stories and things that you don't expect. Um, because the way they teach it at business school is kind of a fairy tale, and a lot of what you're told on how things work and why businesses fail um, simply aren't true, or they're so simplistic that it's not really practical advice for someone who's actually going to be an entrepreneur, someone who's running a business, or even someone who's just working at a business. So let's just dive on in here and what you expect. And so the business we had was all set up. Uh, the only person on salary was our president. And he was making, I think it was like two thirds of what he traditionally made at his full-time job before the startup. So we were kind of like that money saving mode to start with. We had good amount of funding to start off with here. And we had, I believe at the time, eight investors to start up with. So we were pretty pretty well situated, right? And you just lay everything out simply like, okay, we're gonna manufacture products. You know, everyone's gonna make X amount per hour. And we did what everyone would typically do. So we brought in, you know, manufacturing guys from the competitor. So people that should have training already, we don't have to train them. Uh, they all came in, we had managers. Uh, we went out and found an accountant and they did the accounting. And of course we had the president. We had people that were helping with paperwork and... Right, I was one of these paperwork people just shuffling things back and forth. And I was making, I don't remember, it was like $10 an hour or something. So definitely better than minimum wage at the time, but not nothing fancier. You're not making a good living off of this. And I was only working a few hours to start. Uh, I was still going to high school at the time. And then as I went through the career more so, I think I got bumped like maybe 12 bucks an hour. And then that was kind of it. So I was working for peanuts throughout this whole process. And so what you expect when you do a business is you assume, okay, I have this financial planning, I have everything laid out, and then what we're going to do is we're going to pay X amount for this. These are all the overheads, this is how much rent costs, and then you're going to go through and you're going to say, okay, this is how much it's going to cost to manufacture, and we just need to get sales, and we're going to allocate so much for marketing, and you, know, and you go through all the numbers, and you even might say, okay, we're going to lose money on the first, I don't know, X amount of products or the X amount of revenue is a dollar amount. Um, and you'll set it all up and you think that's how it's going to go. That's not how it goes. Um, <laughs> the truth behind this is that when you end up going through this, like we started kind of getting going and we didn't have enough space to really manufacture for what we needed. Yes, we could do smaller projects, but we started getting a bunch of sales. So we had the problem of too much sales and not enough manufacturing capacity. And so we thought, hey, why not just try to change yards? We switched yards. Um, we got sued in the process from investors who weren't happy. I believe this was the <laughs> this time. We've been sued so many times. But you get sued, and then it's like now investors are suing you for this piece. Or, for example, we had uh, we needed a crane. We had no funds allocated for a crane. One of the investors had a crane. Um, how are you going to fund it? I mean, you could borrow money, and that's an option. But again, you're already, I don't know, tight on capital as a startup firm. And so... What's the best thing to do? The best option is if an investor has a crane and they don't need the crane, just to essentially give them more equity to get the crane. Of course, if you don't go through the proper channels, uh, if people don't agree, even if you kind of talked about it, but it's not officially in writing. So one of the takeaways here in general for business of any sorts, everything should be in writing. Um, you end up being sued. And it's no fun. And then you end up having all these politics now. All of a sudden, investors that were friends, family, uh, business colleagues, people you've known through the industry that are kind of supporting it, uh, even just investors you found who just want to make some money on an investment in the industry they're in. Um, again, 
these things go south real quick. Relationships don't hold up in a business atmosphere. And so you get sued and you run out of space. And then you start realizing, for example, you're losing money and you start realizing, okay, we have a lot of sales. Maybe we can raise the prices, right? That's what everyone's going to say. Hey, just raise the prices. You raise the prices, but the way it works in this industry specifically, everything's on contract bid with government agencies, city, state, uh, BLM, National Forest Service, all these different organizations. Um, But it's basically whoever has the lowest price. So it's not like you can raise it too much. There's already a competitive market cap. There's not a lot of room to raise it higher. And so then people say, okay, well, then what else is the problem? It's like, well, I can tell you what the problem is, and it's a hard problem to fix. The hardest piece of this entire puzzle is how do you get people that are being paid hourly, for example, on manufacturing, how do you get them to work harder and produce more goods and provide more value to the business in the same amount of time? Right. This was, I think, the biggest, hardest piece to solve. Um, so I've mentioned it, I believe, in another video. But we could tear down the financials and I can show you we lost money with this entire production manager. They might have made money on one or two projects, but almost all the projects we lost money on. And then you'd have another uh, manager, operations manager, and we made money on almost every project they did. And then they ended up trying to dethrone our president with somebody else. And they were in cahoots behind the scenes. They got investors involved. So a whole nother coup. Uh, Again, somebody else wants to be in power. They want to run the whole business. They want to be the president. They have no qualifications to do it. And so now you end up with, again, all these other politics behind the scenes. So you've been sued. You have all these things going on behind the scenes. It's happening over a few years period. It's just a nightmare, but you can see we made money, but then it's like you can't keep this guy because you can't trust him, so you get rid of this guy. Then you bring in somebody else who lose more money, you bring in somebody else who lose more money, you bring in someone else, for example, like me. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm a hard boss to work for, but I got a lot of productivity out of our guys. Um, again, we made money for a short period, and then the management didn't trust me to run operations from 80 miles away while going to school at the full time, so we had this feud again. And to top all this off on making it even more dicey is, you know, when you're working for family, this is the worst scenario, okay? You don't want to work for family ever. If you can avoid it, avoid it. It makes things very, very challenging on the money side. It makes things challenging on the stress side. Um, I'll go into that in a little bit here. But doing all this is challenging. The management piece was so hard to figure out how do you get someone who can manage and it's not just a good manager in general. You need someone who can manage manufacturing employees, uh, that blue-collar, kind of rough, manly atmosphere, as I've mentioned before. Uh, it's fun and exciting in many ways. It's a good job. It's a good living to, I don't know, to make money, to have a career and whatnot. But at the same time, you need to realize like managing people in the manufacturing side is nothing like managing people in the office. Uh, and again, so I come from now the quantitative finance and the big banking community and industry Managing people there is absolutely nothing like managing manufacturing. So you can't just go out and find someone who's worked in business. You have to find people that are very specialized to do this. And that was one of the biggest problems we had with the entire process and program. Um, The other just crappy parts of it in general is that you end up working a lot of hours, like people say, but it's a lot more hours and you don't get paid a lot of times. So again, right, we have to pay all the manufacturers. That's by law. But when your family or your senior management or you're kind of part of the business itself, um, when you, there's no money to be had, you just don't get paid. 
So even when I said I was making 10, 12 bucks an hour, it doesn't matter if I worked 80 hours for the week, I might just not get paid. So we just skip it. You just skip another pay period. And then it was like, oh, we have money coming in. So it's like, okay, I worked 40 this week. Can you just pay me the full 40? Like that would be great. Um, And again, you track back to hours sometimes, but it ends up (laughs) having this huge backlog of how much money you owe all these senior management people that are running the business. Um, And again, a lot of times we just kind of wipe these off the books, the accounting here, uh, because you just don't have the money. We can't pay people. That's just how it is. We all know that. Uh, That's just how it is. Again, you would say, why not just quit and go do something else? If it's your business, it's really hard to walk away because you probably have a massive amount of investment inside that business. So going unpaid for a week, a month, six months, something sounds terrible, but you just kind of push through it and you hope that you can save that big investment. That's kind of the the kicker of it. Um, And there were periods where I was working two full-time jobs. I was working 80 hours a week uh, during the summer. So between school here, because I was working and doing things like web design and marketing and helping with financials and accounting and doing all that stuff. Um, while I was in school, but then when I got out of school, I ended up being an operations manager for like the three to four months in the summer. So I was working like manual labor, like managing people, running all the operations. I had like 10 to 12 people under me at one point. It dropped down to think about six at another point, um, kind of fluctuates right with people. And so I was working that like a full 40 hour manual labor job. And then when I'd finished that, Then I would stay a few extra hours every day to do finance and accounting and marketing. And then I'd work Saturdays and Sundays and my total hours for the week were like 80 hours a week. So 40 hours on manual labor, 40 hours on traditional finance, accounting, working with investors, I don't know, dealing with all that nonsense. Uh, Yeah, there's the whole business side you got to do too. So again, working a lot of hours, something you should expect. And it's not going to be something like you work a lot of hours and it's fun and exciting. And like, it's always exhilarating because you're in a small business. It's going to be like, this is pure hell. And I really don't want to do this. And this is the worst decision I've probably made. And so if you don't make it in the end, right, it's not going to be that great and wonderful. And even when you make it and the business makes profits and you get out of those holes, um, you still look back and realize it, it sucks. Like it's nothing fun to do. Uh, I don't think I can emphasize this enough, though, because in business school, you make it seem like, okay, I'm going to do this when I'm young, and then I'm going to become successful, and I'm going to get out of it and not do it. Um, From my experience, people that run businesses, for the most part, um, they just work a lot of hours. So Elon Musk, I think, is a really good, famous example of this because he just works a lot of hours. That's just how it is. That's what it's like running a business, right? You don't get to some point, and then you just, like put it on cruise control and you just step away. You're always looking to improve, make things better. Um, So working is big key. The other piece with money is that you have debt collectors and people suing you constantly. So even if you follow the books, even if you follow all the rules, even if you have the best intentions for your investors, your customers, your employees, right? You're a super stand-up citizen, stand-up businessman, right? Um, At the end of the day, you're going to get sued. It just happens. People get petty as well. So we worked in manufacturing, one thing a lot of people don't realize with small businesses is that most small businesses are dependent on other small businesses. So for example, your business might be up and running great and like everything's going amazing. You're making a lot of money. And then you depend on different vendors or supplying you products or services. And for some reason, they basically kind of get hung up and, you know, these vendors can't provide you materials anymore because they ran out of money. So now they can't provide it to you. And so now you're stuck high and dry. And there's nothing you can do. And you don't have a bunch of extra capital to say, hey, I'll pay you like, you know, for all the stuff I need, 
times two, so you just owe me extra materials later. And even if you do this, which we've done this occasionally, um, a lot of times they just don't pay you back. That's just small business. You just go bankrupt. Um, <laughs> it's not a, not a fun piece. And then when you're on that side as well, right, it's really challenging when it's like you need parts and materials from your vendors or services and you can't pay them, you know you can't pay them, and perhaps you haven't paid them in, I don't know, three, four orders. So now they're providing you products and services like floating you credit, hoping you make it. But at the end of the day, it's no fun. And then if you can't pay things, then end up being in relationships that are just burned. And so like you have vendors that you have to have that product. You have to have that material. And then they just cut you off and in relationships and you're stuck trying to find someone else to help service you. Um, it's a nightmare. But it makes sense, right? I, I get it. They didn't get paid. They haven't got paid multiple times, right? As a small business, you don't have the money. You're trying to figure out who to float the money to. It's not like it is in business school where like you make a budget and like, oh, this is how, you know, this person gets this much and you like allocate it all out. Uh, cash flow management is a nightmare because uh, you can have, like I think we had at one point. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're an engineer or a scientist, you love Formula One, you love cycling, you love learning about how new technologies are changing the world around us, then I thought you may want to listen in to my new podcast, the Neil Ashton Podcast. We talk to leading engineers and scientists from around the world, hear about their life stories, hear about new technologies, and hopefully educate you and give you a better sense of how key things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, supercomputing are changing the world around us. If that sounds like it's something you might like, you should come and have a listen. I think we had at least $500,000 in accounts receivable that we just couldn't collect. So I got a half million dollars sitting there that I need, and I have all these people I owe money to for all those projects, plus the profit piece on it, which we need so we can actually buy more materials to cover new projects, and yet we're stuck in this position where it's like, the customers owe us a bunch of money and they're not paying us um, or perhaps something went wrong and they want warranty work and they're fighting and arguing over something silly and it's like, I don't know, a $100 lock and yet I've got you know $35,000, $40,000 tied up in it. So now we're dropping everything to run and fix this and this happens multiple times. Now you're upset because your employees screwed you and put the wrong locks in, which has happened multiple, multiple times. And anyway, so you have a $100, $200 part holding up you know $40,000 project. So these things happen. Debt collectors come after you. If people can't collect their money, they send you to debt collections. Uh, you start having people showing up at your personal house, your residence, your employees' houses, knocking on their doors, looking for you, trying to hunt you down, uh, trying to collect money. So I can remember many occasions being at dinner and then like there's a knocking on the door and like we glance and we don't know who it is. And so it's like everybody down. And so everybody <laughs> hits the floor, right? You don't want to get seen. Pretend like no one's home. Uh, of course, you have like three or four cars parked out front, so clearly someone's home, but they're knocking and knocking and you just have to avoid it. Uh, again, right, you don't have the money. There's nothing you can do to fix the problem. And then the other one is when people sue you. So if you haven't been sued before, uh, it'll happen in a small business, as I mentioned, because relationships just go south. Uh, sometimes people just take things wrong, so they feel like you purposely don't pay them or you purposely are trying to screw them over. Um and so then even though like you're trying to do everything and you're trying to get front with them, um, they're just disgruntled. So now they're upset and now people start suing you or they short you or they give you bad product. They go out of their way essentially to do something harmful or bad to the business. And yes, we had employees who stole materials from our work. 
Um, so we had a massive crane at an employee. I can't prove it, right? They didn't have cameras. Uh, but employees would go and they'd steal stuff. So someone stole an entire radiator out of a crane, which is massive, right? It was in a locked yard and everything. Locks were cut. People came in. Uh, stuff was stolen. So that kind of sucks too. You have to deal with those things occasionally. And then again, that goes into the employee management and all the other issues. And then one other piece is employees always think you're like a millionaire and you're getting rich, which is always frustrating because they don't realize like you're struggling to pay bills. And we've had times where we couldn't pay employees on time, which is really terrible. Uh, But you try to make everything kind of match. But they always think like, oh, you sold a project for, I don't know, we had this rumor. We'll go with this one here. We had a dumb employee come in and said, hey, you know, the operations manager and all the employees are complaining. They said, you know, you sold this project for $800,000, you know, and we were only going to spend like a month on it. And it's only going to cost you, I don't know, $20,000 in parts, whatever. And you're making all this money and you're screwing us over. And so our president had to sit down and go, well, A, I don't know where you're hearing these rumors from, but B, that project sold for 80000 it's like, oh, okay, okay, so 80000 and you $20,000 of the cost, you're still making sixty. And it's like, okay, no, no let's, let's back this out here, right? So you have to go through stuff that you shouldn't have to go through with employees, but you have to do it so that they gain trust and confidence and realize, like, the people that are running other parts of the business don't know what's going on because it's not their business. And everyone doesn't need to know all the costs and associations and profits and all that. But you start backing out. Cost. You have to explain like, okay, this is how much cost really costs. So all the materials, concrete, rebar, paint, fasteners, doors, louvers, all this stuff. Then you have to go through and explain, okay, there's disposable materials too. So like paint brushes and rollers and spray tips and uh, rags and I don't know, all saw blades and all kinds of stuff like that. You got to count all that in there. And then you have to go through and explain to them, okay, well then you have overhead. So I have to pay everyone to sit at the office. I have to do the accounting, the financials, pay the taxes and all that. That's a whole nightmare in itself. And you have to go through this whole process with them and you go, look, we actually are going to make about $5,000 on this project. And they go, oh, well, that's still quite a bit. And you go, oh, and by the way, you guys screwed me and the hours on this project are actually higher than that. So now we lost, I don't know, $3,000 on this project. So I'm losing money to do this project. And now you're coming in here telling me basically that, you know, we're screwing you over. And they go, oh, I didn't realize that. It's like dealing with employees is a whole nightmare in itself. That's a piece I think a lot of people don't realize, even if you've been in a senior management role in a well-established industry, when you have to be the person that manages everything or you end up with teams and you're trying to work between all this startup nonsense of you know not having enough money, having debt collectors, having people sue you, having investors sue you, having people kick you out of like where you're renting, people cutting you off from services, it's just a nightmare no matter how you look at it. And so... Those are just kind of the struggles, I think, from the startup perspective that people just don't see. People assume, like, I'm going to plan this out really well. I'm going to have enough capital. And we were even lucky enough to get another infusion of capital on top of that. And yes, we tried financial services to help ease cash flow issues. So, for example, there are companies that will collect on um, sold projects. So, say you sell a project. Let's say it's $50,000. They say, okay, we will pay you, um, I don't know, say... 70% 70% of it or whatnot, and you'll pay this up front, and then when you guys collect and get everything and the project's finished, then you just pay us the last 30. All right, sounds like a reasonable thing. When you're in financial distress, these are usually not lifelines. These are usually things that are just gonna sink your boat. 
because you need the cash so bad you'll do anything, which is really terrible. Uh, the companies that are willing to work with small businesses are typically not large financial institutions because small businesses are super, super risky and it's a nightmare. And so dealing with all that is a whole headache in itself. Um, it's just a nightmare, right? There's, there's no way around the financial aspects of it. Uh, the other things is just not having money. So something some people kind of know, um, I was married young, I was going to college at the time, um, I was working for the family business, right, trying to help things get going, kind of get things like rolling, trying to make money here. Uh, as much as I wanted to quit and leave consistently, uh, you can't just leave family high and dry. And so I had no money to actually pay for things outside of school. So as soon as I left school and left my apartment there, I didn't have enough money to pay for rent. So my wife and I moved in with my parents and I lived with my parents. So living with your parents, doing business, right? You have business on your mind 24 seven, it doesn't stop. And then when you have feuds at work, the feuds transfer into the house. <laughs> so on your weekends, you're thinking about business even when you're not working. Uh, if someone disagrees with the way things are done, there's feuding, there's fighting, it goes on constantly. There's no way to kind of like turn things off and pretend like you're not at work. Um, so again, the anxiety and stress is always super, super high. Uh, so these are just some of the things I think that a lot of people don't talk about a lot on the startup side. Um, again, you're going to be super poor. The business is going to struggle, even if you plan things to the nth degree and put a bunch of padding on it. Um, like I mentioned, we had extra capital infusion. Uh, so we had another whole set of people coming in, two more wealthy individuals put in a, I think it was like three, $400,000 uh, to help kind of spur things on. Um, we restructured our business, for example. So instead of doing all the manufacturing and having to bear all the burden of all these costs and all the materials, for example, and the labor and all that, we got out of that and we had licensees. And then you have to manage other corporations and licensees who consistently fail you and don't feel like they need to perform. And another big takeaway is if you don't hold people accountable, so even if you have a contract in writing, if you don't hold them accountable for every single decision, you're gonna get screwed. Um, I was a huge proponent of this. Every time our licensees would not do something, I would li like to take them to the cleaners on it. Like, we're gonna sue them, we're gonna get X amount of money, we're gonna write a nasty email, this needs to be taken care of now. Um, our president did not take that approach. They took the approach of, you know, they're trying their hardest. We're all in this together. We're all going to win. Um, I find this doesn't work in business. So we did that approach. We ended up being sued by a licensee because they produced garbage product multiple times. Uh, they shipped it. And when it shipped, it didn't even have all the parts on it. So imagine like ordering a car, getting a car, and it's missing like two doors, the trunk, and there's no interior. Like as a customer, you're gonna be pretty upset. So then we have to, as the company, right, we're the face of the company saying, hey, these are our products. And then you have to go out and fix all your materials yourself. So we went out there and had to fix it all. And so we shorted our licenses and said, hey, you didn't even provide all the materials. Plus we have all this labor now. And now doing manufacturing in the field is significantly more expensive. So in a car example, imagine like painting a car, putting doors on interior at a factory where you have all the tools. Uh, now imagine taking that to someone's random driveway. You're gonna have to like bring in tools, machines, glue, adhesives, paint, paint sprayers, all this stuff right for a car. This is the exact same thing for precast concrete restrooms. Uh, it ends up costing a lot. So we shorted our licensees and said, hey, we shorted you because of this. Um, they continued to produce garbage product and then eventually they sued us because they wanted all this extra money that we never paid them. And magically we lost a lawsuit even though we were in the right. And yes, it was pretty cut and dry. 
Um, again, legal counsel, small firms don't have capital. You can't hire good lawyers. You can't protect yourself as well. Being a startup is kind of a nightmare, but I'm just going to wrap up this podcast right here. Um, again, just the takeaways from this. There are a lot of things you don't see, you don't realize, horror things, horror stories, of employees that are screwing you over, vendors. Um, again, everybody involved might have good intentions a lot of times, but at a small business and a small startup, that's not how it goes. Um, you don't have the excess capital padding that big firms have. So again, big companies can be really poorly ran, but usually if you have enough good people and enough capital, it doesn't really matter. So anyways, those are my takeaways. Those are kind of some of the negatives to look for and to be aware of if you're looking to start your own business. Thank you for listening. And as always, until next time.